Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. This week we have CISO Scott Dickinson, who will be sharing his experiences in cybersecurity as a leader and what we could do to grow the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. You can find his LinkedIn profile in the descriptions below. And if you're on LinkedIn, feel free to follow myself as well as Scott. If you're following us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button below, as well as the notification button. That way you'll pop up the next time we're on. For those of you on Twitch or the other live streaming platforms like Twitter, feel free to join us whenever you can. Share your comments and questions below, and we'll have a great time today. Scott, tell us a little bit about your background and what got you into cybersecurity. Okay, well, you know... Um... Back in high school, I was uh, kind of very into computers. And, and back then, I might have been referred to as a nerd. Um, but I really loved computers. Um, I got into college, and I got a bad instructor who kind of diminished, you know, diminished my light for security, uh, for computers. Um, so I took up another hobby of auto mechanics and auto body shop. I went to work painting airplanes for the government. I got married, came home one day, and my wife's like, what would you love to do if you could do it for work? And I said, well, I'd love to get back into computers. And she said, well, why don't you? And I said, well, it'd be like a 50% pay cut. You know, we had two young kids. She said, go ahead. We'll manage. And I was like, what? What? You know? And so I got back into computers and I have loved it ever, every day since. So for 20 years, I've enjoyed this roller coaster. Um, I feel like I'm getting paid to play, you know, I'm playing on computers. So um, I've been with, I've got 25 years of federal government experience, four years with the state, and now uh, roughly about a year or so in private sector. Um, I've been with 10 different federal agencies, including the FBI twice, uh, DOD, uh, Department of Veteran Affairs, um, you name it, I, I've, I've been around. <laughs> um, and with the state of South Carolina, I was their um, second ever virtual CISO. Um, they had a neat program where they would, the cybersecurity agency would hire the CISO and then rent them out to agencies, if you will. So, Oh, nice. Pretty good. Well, let, let's talk about that hop from non-computers to computers. Like, what was that like? And oh, what, what did you, wh where were you? So when I got, you know, for me, it was kind of um, a panic moment because when I left computers, I knew a lot about computers. I mean, back in high school, I had the teachers come to me and say, Scott, how do you do this? How do you do that? And the next day they'd be on the board and this is how you do this. And the same thing I told them. So being away from it, you know, it was back in the DOS days and kind of showing my age. But, um, you know, PCs were coming into effect. I got back into it and there was Active Directory and Windows 2000 and all this other stuff. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how, how am I ever going to learn all this stuff? And then luckily I was blessed with a, a jerk for a coworker, if you will, <laughs> who basically always pretended to know everything. But then later I found out he was just Googling it. So then once once I knew you didn't have to know everything, you just had to know how to do some research to, to find the answers, it kind of lowered my stress level. Um, but yeah, it, it was really stressful coming back into just a whole changed atmosphere. And, and what was your approach for growth? Because I'm guessing you weren't um, a, a young buck when you kind of transferred back into computers. No, I what wasn't. was it like starting over? So it, it was stressful, but... I figured out that my love for computers had not diminished. I was still always looking for stuff. And this is one of the, the key things I tell people. If you're looking to break into cybersecurity, one of my jobs was, as a computer operator was switching out backup tapes. Well, the same computer that had the backup tapes had the antivirus console on it. So I asked my boss, hey, who's monitoring the antivirus console? And she said, nobody. 
I said, will you mind if I do it? And she's like, sure, go ahead. So I started looking for the jobs that weren't being done and mm -hmm. started doing them. Wow. And as you grew in your career, uh, what got you into leadership and why? One of the things, you know, again, I, I always call it being blessed by bad managers. Um, I've been blessed with bad managers and blessed with good managers. Um, one of my favorite managers, her name was Jessica, and she was at the Department of Veteran Affairs. And she, when I came in as a, a field information security officer, she said, Scott, this is your program. I'm going to let you run it the way you want to run it. Um, if I get any complaints, I'll come talk to you. If you need help, come talk to me. But I'm going to give you the reins and letting you do that. And having that freedom was just awesome. She, she didn't micromanage. She allowed me to stumble and develop and, and learn um, without coming down on me. And then, you know, I shifted to some bad managers and then good managers and alternated back and forth. So I took the good from the good and then knew what I didn't want to do when I was with the bad. When I got okay. into leadership, I love seeing people grow and develop. Um, you know, one of the things that I do as a manager, I feel like I don't own my employees. If I train you up and I teach you how to be a great forensic examiner or something like that, and you get a better offer, a better job somewhere else, I'm like a happy mom bird that the birds left the nest. Um, it's not like, oh, I trained them, I spent all this money, you know. So helping people um, grow is what really led me into the management. And what are some of the things that you do to help them discover where they want to grow or what they want to do? Because sometimes they don't know what they want to do. Exactly. And I've tried to present as many opportunities as I can. Um, and sometimes I have to have that conversation with them. Is this really what you want to do with your life? Um, coming up, I remember that a lot of people were jumping into cybersecurity because the money was great, but they were miserable. And I was like, well, what good is it being, you know, a happy, rich person? You know, <laughs> I, I've been poor before and, you know, I, I, I was happy and content. So trying to tell people, you know, find out what you like. Okay, maybe auditing is your, your thing. Maybe you like doing the details with auditing. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe forensics is your thing. You're very detail-organized and you're very good at following, you know, set programs and stuff. Or maybe you like threat hunting, looking for stuff. Hey, let me see if I can find this or find that, find that. But trying to light that fire under them and help them understand what is it that excites you. Let's try a bunch of things and maybe something will excite you. And I'm guessing working for the state, working for the federal government, uh, sometimes budget wasn't always there. What, what are some of the, the things you potentially did to help them have those opportunities to, to grow or have that training? Yeah, so one of the things I always encouraged is looking out for free training. Um, some people, you know, as a manager, they say, hey, I want to go to this SANS training, you know, or this other training. It was five, $6,000. And I'm like, what have you done to prepare for that? Oh, well, well, I haven't done anything. Okay, well, try this free program here. Um, FedVTE was one. Um, look for all these opportunities that you can find to obtain this free stuff so that when I go to my manager and says, hey, I want to send Sheila to this training, and she's already taken all these free courses, you know, he can say, oh, okay, it sounds like she's ready for the next step, rather than, oh, I just think Sheila wants a vacation and she wants to go to this nice location. <laughs> so I encourage them to find free resources. Um, a lot of times you can get a local library card. Um, and for me, they had access to Safari books online, which you can get technology books, access to them for free. You have to read them online, but hey, it's a great learning opportunity. So I always try to encourage seeking out opportunities. Look for them. Don't wait for them just to be plopped on your desk. I, I love that. Continuously being curious and seeking out those opportunities. When you have staff that 
you probably are under budgeted for staff, uh, under budgeted for resources. How do you ensure that they have the time that they can do the free training and it's potentially not something that they have to do when they're at home and they've already worked nine, 10 hours and now they have to do training again? Yeah, one of the things I always try to do is make my work environments fun and stress-free so that they feel like that. And I tell them, if you have to block off an hour of time or two hours of time, three days a week, whatever, do it. Block it off. Just close your door, um, put a sign up, that, hey, I'm in training, and do that. But being, you know, one of those managers who doesn't just sit there and have to control every minute of their day, let them have that freedom to do that. The other thing I also tell them is, don't underestimate the power of volunteering. Um, one of the positions I got, I had very little experience in actually doing the work at work. But my home network, I had, you know, 15 computers, I had switches, a router, had all this stuff, and I had a picture of it. And when I went in for the interview, I was saying, hey, you know, yes, I don't have enterprise-level experience at this, but this is what I do in my spare time. And I showed them a picture, and they're like, if you can set that up, I believe you, you can adapt anything. So look for that stuff. And sometimes if this is your passion, you know, you, you'll do that. Um, I also make it where my workers don't have to take work home. You know, door shuts at five o'clock, leave it at the office, you know, um, and try to make it very stress-free so that they enjoy it and they have the freedom and the space to enjoy it. One of the things that, that we, we talk about all the time is all the unfilled roles in cybersecurity because there's a, a, a talent gap. How do you address that or how, what, what's your position on the, the talent gap? I think the talent gap can be used as an excuse sometimes. Um, I know that um, I've actually uh, been displaced from a position of employment because they found somebody cheaper. So was there a gap? No, they just decided to go with the cheaper candidate. Well, the cheaper candidate didn't last two years. You know, they were in, got their, their C-level role and left. Um, sometimes companies aren't willing to pay the money or they have unrealistic job applications like, here, here's an entry-level security analyst. We want 15 years of experience. <laughs> you know, for an entry-level, come on, you know, it's, you know, it's mind-blowing sometimes when you see that kind of stuff. Um, one of the other things is encouraging people and, and seeing if you can help them get into that. Um, because if I believe we need to start training the next generation and, and, leading them to help fill those gaps. But companies also have to be willing to pay for them and understand that sometimes talent costs money. So you walk perfectly into my next question. You're, you're talking about the next generation. How do you create your pipeline for, for roles that you have to fill today and then we can address tomorrow and the future next? Yeah, and there's two parts of it. So one of it is lighting the fire of excitement, you know, when I came in here, I inherited a team of four people and it's grown to six people now. We're going to start having these monthly meetings where they come in and say, here, here's all the opportunities that are available because I want to take us from being a reactive department where, oh, we got an alert, let's go look for it, to actually be able to do that, come through the firewalls, look for this and see if you can find the problems before they become, you know, big problems. So you have to do that. From the management side, you also have to... Um, look for ways to, you know, battle. You know, I always say one of my biggest enemies is HR because they think they know what this position requires. And I have trouble filling that position because they're only willing to say, well, that position is worth this much. You know, so I've had to battle them at several places. 
But again, that's part of the manager's job is to go in there, stand up for your employees, say, hey, I want them to, you know, I need this type of analyst and this is what I'm going to move them to. And once I do, can you afford to pay them? Perfect. And, and then what what do you do to fill the roles or fill the pipeline for the, the roles of tomorrow? Because your analysts today, you're going to need to grow. They might leave. Um, whatever it is, you're going to have to backfill them. How, how yeah. do you build a pipeline for that? So one of the things I try to do with my employees is get them to document what they do. Don't be afraid of sharing knowledge. Some people are like, well, you know, that one jerk I mentioned, he felt like if he knew everything, everyone would have to come to him and it would insulate him against everything. Um, it ended up not working out so well for him um, because he just hoarded information. Share the information, prepare it so the next person can can just step right in and follow your instructions and not miss a beat. Um, and also make it exciting for them, you know, because if it's just boring that, you know, Hey, this is an audit thing. You got to go audit these files, audit these files, and these files. And then Tuesday, you do the same thing. Try to do some rotation or some kind of stuff. Share the load of the boring work. And then also try to, you know, entice the exciting stuff. Some of the problems we have is, you know, as, you know, us older generation get older, we kind of like, eh, we start slowing down on our learning. We have a chance to share what we've learned and what we've known to other people. So I think mentorship is very big, taking on mentees and saying, hey, let me teach you some things that, you know, I had to learn the hard way coming up. Maybe it'll help you um, not have such a hard time. Um, I sit on a board of a couple colleges. Um, I go there. I do speaking engagements. Try to, to light that fire in the younger generation. Do you work with local colleges? Yes. Um, and, and then help cater their courses or what do you do at those local colleges to help build that future pipeline? Yeah. So I sit on a board an advisory board for one of the colleges. Um, and we do that once a year, we'll get together and, and those, the teachers will say, Hey, this is what we're thinking about teaching. How realistic is that in the real world? Is that a real world skill or is it just book knowledge? Um, and we help, and they have about eight people on this advisory board, um, CISO levels and, and all different kind of levels. And we come together and, help you know train that and then we'll also do like throughout the years we'll do fireside chats kind of with them and talk to the students give the students a chance to ask questions things like that oh i absolutely love that um when you as you're doing that do you then extend it to high schools and to, to lower schools how, how do we attract them into the industry because one of the stats that i heard is less than three percent of college students um, we're aware of cybersecurity as a job field. So how do we bring that awareness to the lower levels and, and potentially even just provide them with the general safety and education of using technology? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, one of the things that I um, disliked about my high school is I was a very bright student in computers. Now, algebra, that wasn't my subject, but computers, it was. I wish that schools would say, hey, look, we got a smart person over here. Let's see what we can do to develop them, not only to have, you know, name recognition that, hey, we had this great, you know, student here. He went on and he's an alumni of the school. But what can we do to um, build that up and recognize our cyber, you know, stars, our IT stars, um, people that are excelling in high school and that they just had maybe they need a little bit of equipment. Um, you know, it'd been great if I could have had one of those computers at home. I could have done a whole lot. But I was a kid that would sneak into the computer lab because I didn't have a computer at home, you know. So 
looking for those opportunities. Um, when I get a chance, I'll go out and speak to high schools. I'll speak to, um, you know, I make myself available so that um, we can do that and, and kind of help them understand how to get into the, the, the fields that maybe they, maybe they love. That, that, that's great. Yeah. One of the things that I'm trying to do is to work with my local high school. And I know that one of the major cloud providers, they're also doing that as they extended their, their headquarters in the Northern Virginia region. They're, they're looking to build up that worker capacity for future years. So they're working with the, the school districts for programs, for access to content, for awareness to the teachers. Because Sometimes even the teachers, you're not aware of these roles to share them with the students. So yeah. how do how do we do that for the future? And I, I hope that the school boards will be, you know, saying, you know, in the past, I think we've taught, you know, the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, stuff like that. Maybe that core curriculum isn't for everybody. There are certain ports that we need people to have, um, but allow them to say, you know what? Um, maybe we partner with a college and do dual enrollment where they can have um, some cybersecurity classes and do that. Um, the state that I was in, my daughters did some dual enrollment stuff and they were able to, you know, um, attend high school and attend some college classes. So I think that's important too, but also understanding that we need to start building that talent. Um, as, as you start building those talents, have you ever investigated uh, the apprenticeship route, you, you talked about like that core curriculum isn't for everyone. So w the core curriculum has traditionally guided students to college for um, white collar work rather than blue collar work. Mm -hmm. But I would say most of the things that computer technicians and information security professionals are almost really blue collar workers that are at a keyboard. So how do we provide them with the on-the-job training so that they can grow straight out of high school um, into their roles? Yeah, you know, I think we have to make roles available for them, uh, speak to them about internships. One of the things I like about my path is when I went into auto mechanics, it taught me how to be a good troubleshooter. Mm -hmm. Then when I got into IT, I could use those skills to do that. So sometimes you can have complementary roles. I've also coached youth sports for about 20 years. Um, and people say, well, do you recommend kids specialize in the sport or do they want to see multiple sports? We like to see multiple sport athletes because you use different muscles, you learn different skills, you have to work with a different group that you're not with every day. And I think we can do some of the same thing with computers is teach them stuff like basic troubleshooting, um, get your hands on, you know, taking stuff apart. Because for me, a lot of my success has been taking stuff apart and putting it back together again multiple times. And when you learn that skill, that can help you um, transition into other skills. I always say, if you want to be a good hacker, know how something works, because then you can look for points to inject uh, an attack or a break point or get it to act in a way that it's not normally used to acting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the, the other approaches is, Pairing up what you, you mentioned earlier, where you have the more senior folks document their role and potentially pairing a, a junior individual where not it's not necessarily like a summer internship, but it's an apprenticeship like an electrician might do, mm -hmm. um, an auto mechanic might do, where 
they they have the fundamental knowledge, but now they need the on the job training as to how do you work in a, a company versus working by yourself? Because those are cultural norm, norms that you have to learn through experience. Yes. And sometimes, you know, um, I, I was at one of these colleges uh, and I did a presentation and afterwards I had some students come up to me and this one guy was really kind of nervous, you know, and my message to him was, shoot your shot. What, what's your question? I can tell you've got something on your mind you want to ask me. And he says, well, do you have any internships? And I said, not at the moment. I said, but never be afraid to ask that. Always ask that. Go out to companies and say, hey, do you have any internships? You know, sometimes you might have to take an internship for free. I did lots of free work coming up just so I could gain the experience. Because one of the things I, I learned is that there were some employees that were like, well, when they pay me, then I'll do it. But you've just robbed yourself of that experience. I did it. And then I ended up getting paid for it because I had the experience when a moment presented itself. So I try to encourage people to look for the ask for it, have that courage to ask for it. And if, you, if they say no, you're no worse off than you were. But if they say yes, you've just increased yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So even, for example, myself, um, I support uh, a nonprofit here. This is an opportunity to lead an organization, to help with business development, to help create um, business relationships that I otherwise would not have, but through supporting this nonprofit. And it's something that I'm passionate about or helping another charity, Red Cross, whatever, your local church. They offer Wi-Fi sometimes, like help them secure their infrastructure mm -hmm. and, and do something that aligns with your passions. Yes. And, and, and I love what you're doing. You know, you're helping people. You're creating a bridge for them to, hey, how do I go from A to B? Well, you know, you listen to Chris and, and you find out these ways that, oh, this is what other people are doing. You know, and, and I love that about that because it helps us get them the courage to cross that bridge and say, Hey, okay, well, I've, I've learned this. Let me go try this or that. Um, I used to repair people's computers for free, um, repairing antivirus. And I remember I saw ransomware very early before it hit the mainstream business stuff because I was doing, you know, some computer work for free. And I was like, well, what is this? You know? And then, you know, later on you find, Oh, that's ransomware. Oh, they actually have a name for it, but it gave me valuable experience, you know, some people say, you know, there's an old joke that, oh, if you're the IT person, you're the family help desk kind of thing. <laughs> yes. But don't shy away from it. If you really love it, help people. You know, I used, my grandma passed away last year, um, and she was fundamental into helping me get in there. Because when we would go to her house, she had a computer, um, and she would save all her computer magazines for me, and she would give them to me, and I would read every word of them. And so that's what we need, people helping other people, you know, explore their passions. And so in your, your federal and your state background, what are some of the things that we could do to work with those agencies to, to help provide them with uh, opportunities to work with the private sector? Because oftentimes there's that disconnect between state, federal, and, and private sector. So how can we improve that relationship so that they can share information, we can share information, and then that opportunity to um, make that relationship better. Well, I know there's been a lot of struggles with that. Um, one of the things that used to frustrate us in the federal thing is we would get somebody in, get them trained up, and then, you know, Dell would come along and offer them, you know, $40,000 more than what we were doing. And we're like, 
start over again. You know, um, I got my start into painting aircrafts through an internship, through an apprenticeship program. Um, and that was very helpful in building that. Um, there were some people that didn't like it because, hey, we're bringing these young kids in and these older workers are getting shafted because they're going to take their job. And there was this enviousness of it which didn't need to exist, you know, because I didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to take John Smith's job. You know, I said, hey, here's an opportunity and taking it. And I wish more people in the federal sector could, you know what, these are what our rules are. And unfortunately, they're so bound by rules that they can actually become less secure because of it. And they need to understand that. So having the courage in the federal agencies to say, you know what, what can we do to, to get this um, through? One of the things I like to do is try to be inventive. Um, I came from a lot of security people that were the old department of no. And they were like, nope, the security rules are black and white, off or on. There's no gray areas. I'm like, but why not? You know, because sometimes you can find a great solution if you just step back and think outside the box. And I think that's what we need more from the federal and the state sector is looking for ways to work outside the box. And, and I mean, even in the, the, the health sector, like there's a lot of information that needs to be shared between um, health facilities, whether they're state or, or, or private run, and how how do we exchange that information in a secure way, um, both from like insurance, um, hospitals, and then back end. Um, so what are some of the things that we could do to improve that? Well, one of the things I think that would be really key is anonymizing it. So let's say the hospital A gets hit by a breach. Be transparent with it. Hey, they got in because we hadn't passed a Windows 2008 server. So rush out and patch all your Windows 2008 servers and do that. And be willing to be vulnerable. Um, I know Brene Brown did a, a, a TED Talk on vulnerability and being able to be vulnerable. And I think with so much legality and stuff, we want to hide behind this and hide what happened because we're embarrassed by it. But sometimes if you share that that hole that they got in, it closes a bunch of holes everywhere else and it makes the attacker's job that much harder. Yeah, absolutely. And, and introducing my um, co-host, Renee Small, jumping on at the oh, last so minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Duty uh, calls. Renee comes from the recruiting side of things. And what, what are some of the things that, you've encouraged individuals to do when they reach out to recruiters like Renee Small? Well, one of the things, you know, um, always be transparent about your experience, um, but don't discount volunteer experience. I used to run a resume writing uh, thing because people were struggling to get into the federal government. They didn't understand the hoops you had to go through. Um, you had to make it past the computer screen and then to the interview stage. And they would just say, oh, well, this is what I do. Okay, but but didn't you volunteer to do this over here? Oh, yeah, but nobody paid me for that. That's still experience. So don't minimize yourself. I see that people do that a lot with job applications. They'll say, oh, I don't have experience in, in you know, the qualsys system. Okay, but you ran this other thing that's very similar to it. Talk about that. Just don't say, I have no experience with qualsys. Say, well, I don't have experience with qualsys. I do have experience with X, Y, and Z. And really try to paint yourself as capable. And I think if you show the recruiters that, hey, I'm someone who's willing to learn, not give up easily, um, and, you know, have a passion about it, it helps them sell you to other companies. 
Uh, hi, Scott. That is so true. I see that, um, you know, we've shared over the course of this podcast that exact piece of advice over and over again, you know, to ensure that one, you are volunteering in the field and two, put that information on your resume. So thank you for sharing that from a CISO perspective and seeing, you know, when folks are hired, this is how it works. Yes. And one of the things I tell people is look at the job you want to have. If you're not a CISO now, start looking at CISO applications. What are they requiring? What are they looking for? And then go out and acquire those skills. You know, if you don't have a good background in management, ask someone who's a manager, can I shadow you? I want to learn more about management or leadership. And there's a difference between the two, understanding that, you know, but be proactive about that. Say, hey, I'm not there now, but in five years, I want to be there. What's it going to take? Yeah, I absolutely love that. Having that North Star to point to and to guide you. It might not be your next step or the next step after that, but at least you know where you're working towards. Yeah. And we're, we're at the bottom of the, the hour, and I'd like to ask one last question before we go. Uh, Scott, if, if you look back at your 20-year-old self, what advice would you share with them? Don't give up so easily. Um, like I said, I got turned off by a bad teacher who was very, very brilliant, but he couldn't teach his brilliance. Um, and then the rumor started that, well, he's taking over the whole computer program and all of our, you know, stuff is going to be taught by him. And this is going to be terrible. And it's like, you know, it was like, everything is terrible. That meme is out there. I believed it. I fell for it. I didn't do more research. I just took people at the words and I let that deter me from my love. You know, I could have just went to another college, maybe a little farther drive or something, but don't let people push you off of your passion. You know, I'm a big believer. And I hear some people say, well, follow your passion. That's the dumbest advice ever because you can't ever make it, you know, doing that. That's a pipe dream. No, you're going to make your way and you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. If you will just do that, don't let people snuff your life. Absolutely. I see Renee, Renee smiling there, but, um, <laughs> Thank I you. just heard the same advice. <laughs> I was just watching someone and they were saying that same exact. And and I, it was someone famous. It was someone like uh, the CEO of Fortune 20, one of these, one of these companies, pretty much saying the same thing. So that's why I'm smiling. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Scott, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. For individuals on LinkedIn, Scott's profile is in the description. Follow, follow all of us, follow Scott, follow the podcast. For those of you on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification button. And for those of you after the fact, give us a, a 10 or a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're, you're, you're using. That way you, we can gain visibility. You could share us with all your friends and family. And because we really do need that diverse background of individuals joining this community. Thank you all and have a great day.